Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dan Rather. I'm joined by Lindsay Buckingham. How are you, Lindsay? I'm a royal. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's from um, uh, Fleetwood Mac, Lindsay Buckingham. Oh, Even oh my confusing. God. All, well, that was a mess. <laughs> mm -hmm. Buckingham was a trick. That should have been a royal. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of the funniest story about Ken Kennedy. Do you remember this one? He got pulled over in high school. The street he lived on was called Buckminster. Okay. Oh, wow. And he got pulled over for speeding <laughs> and the uh, cop asked for his license and he looked at it and he said, do you know why I pulled you over this evening, Mr. Buckminster? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Buckminster. <laughs> oh, Ken Kennedy. Today we have a really exciting expert on Emily Morse. She is a sex therapist and author and host of the podcast Sex with Emily. I can't believe it took us this long to have a sex and intimacy conversation. Right, and tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Well, that too. So wait, Good or point. I don't know if it's tomorrow, but Valentine's Day's knocking on the back door. Valentine's Day's on Sunday. So this was timely. Yeah, prime the pump. Listen, Emily has made it her mission to normalize the conversation around sex, and she has a new masterclass. The masterclass she teaches is called Emily Morris Teaches Sex and Intimacy. She can help you learn how to identify what you want, communicate your desires, and discover new sexual adventures. So please enjoy Emily Morse. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that it's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy. So easy. The best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. We are supported by Celebrity Cruises. I know what you think. As long as you're on vacation, you're happy. But the truth is some vacations are better than others. And there's one that's better than all of them. Celebrity Cruises. With rooms, food, and service like theirs, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And you won't have to with all the places Celebrity goes. They even have weekend Caribbean escapes if you're short on time. So visit Celebrity.com, contact your travel advisor, or call 1-800-CELEBRITY and see why nothing comes close to Celebrity Cruises. Ships Registry, Malta, and Ecuador. He's an Hello. Hi. Oh my God. I'm so excited to meet you guys. Why? We're so excited to meet you. We are for real, real, real excited. We say that to a lot of people, but genuinely, well, I'll speak for myself. I'm a bona fide pervert. The fact that we haven't had a sex expert on yet. How is that possible? I love your show and I'm honored to be on it. Oh, thank you. We did have a sex addiction specialist, Dr. Alex. Catahawkus. <gasps> Catahawkus. Oh, right, right. But that okay. was more addressing my pathologies than just the fun of it all. The fun of it all. Yeah, this promises to be the fun version. But you kind of consider yourself a sex expert. Oh, expert. Sure, sure. So that's well, probably why. I consider myself an expert on most expert. things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, an mm -hmm. expert, expert. But Emily, <laughs> we're both from not just Michigan, but we're both from Oakland County. 
I know. I feel like we have so many similarities because in listening to your show, it's like I can so relate to all the Michigan things and the <laughs> just and your accent. Oh. I love that you still have your accent, your long A's. You know, it's funny is, of course, my <laughs> wife is also from Michigan, and she says I still have one, but I don't even know what that means. So It's great. Yeah, apparently I still have it. Yeah, you do. It's fun. Yeah, we're both from, we had that whole experience. And do you miss Greek salad? I do miss Greek salad. <laughs> oh, Greek I'm, salad. Yeah, that's it. I love it. I miss a lot about Michigan. I mean, I don't go back as much, well, now in the last year, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'm glad that I had the Midwestern upbringing. I have to say. Me too. And I just went back in the fall and went to four cider mills in one day. <laughs> That's what I miss. The donuts and the, and the bees, though. There was always so many bees. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. So I recorded the whole thing. It was with my best friend, Aaron, and we kept getting chased out of everywhere by the yeah. bees because we're both allergic to bees. Oh, Yeah, it's an ever-present theme in the whole thing. The most exciting thing I remember in my late teens was that Elizabeth Berkeley was from Farmington Hills. Was that always on your mind as well? Always. And last last week, someone's like, well, do you remember Elizabeth Berkeley? But now they talk about Kristen Bell, too, because there's not that many of us from Michigan, so you always talked about the few people that were from Michigan that made it. Yeah. And you did much better in school than I did in Michigan because I could not have gotten into U of M, but you did get into U of M. Why did you want to do psychology? Because I have a stereotype about psych students. I wanted to do psychology because, well, this isn't such a Michigan thing. I had a cousin who was older and went to Michigan. And when I got there, it was one of those first times, I didn't know it then, but it was commitment issues. Ah. And they were like, pick a major. And I got there and, you know, you're a freshman. It's like, okay, I just got here. And they're like, you better pick a major. I'm like, how the hell do I know what I want to be for the rest of my life? I've only worked at the shoe warehouse (laughs) and I don't know what I want to be. And so my cousin, Liz, was a psychology major. And I thought that would be really interesting. Maybe I should do that. And then come to find out that I actually love therapy. I love analysis. And it was the right choice for me. And then within psychology, you're learning about human sexuality is covered. It's a big part of our psychology. Yeah. So not then. Not then. No. Listen, there was no talk about sex when I was in college. Sex didn't come until much later. So for me, it wasn't until 15 years ago was when I did the switch to sex. So I studied psychology and then I was in therapy. My parents were always very pro-therapy. So my parents got divorced when I was young. What age? Nine. They got divorced. My mom's like, well, you should just, you know, go to therapy. So they were always pro that. And so the psychology part of it just made sense to me. But then I had this switch my senior year at Michigan. I was like running through the, what was it called? That park that I wrote. We did mushrooms there once. You know, the park <laughs> where they the, would have hash bash. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yep. I attended. Right. That was a big thing. I mean, we did that. There was more talk about drugs. There was weed was way more acceptable than talking about sex then. Yeah. I don't even think they had a human sexuality program. At least I didn't know about it. But a feather in the cap, just to, not to counter your claims, but Naked Run they have at U of M. I do know the Naked Everyone Run. Everyone gets bare naked, Monica, and goes yes. for a jog. Wow. I was, was a little brute. <laughs> in winter, I think. Yeah, they do. I was uptight, though, a little bit. I was much more conservative in college. I was like, if I have sex with... 
too many guys and they're going to judge me and I never wanted to be taken advantage of by a man. It was all the stuff that I'm so against right now about women feeling that we're defined by our sexuality. So I would never have gone naked running. Now I'd be the first one. I'd be <laughs> leading the naked run. Like I'm a totally different person than I was in Michigan. If I ask my wife and she gives me the green light, should we go do the naked run and raise money for some yes. needy children? No, See, absolutely. don't make it about children again. Oh. I wanted to do a perverted calendar and donate the money to children and Monica wasn't for it. No. I know, I always want to do things for kids and they're like, well, what, you do sex. But I do want to do sex education. I'm like, yeah, but that's why they need it. The kids need to know about sex. I didn't have any sex education growing up at all. What's your theory on why sex is, in this country, the most taboo topic still? I have a bunch of theories and opinions, but... One hard example I would just give is simply in movie ratings, if you lick a nipple, you're going to get an NC-17 rating. But if you hack the boob off with a machete, you're going to get a PG-13. That should tell you something very deeply about our relationship with sexuality. Oh, my God. Yes. Why do I think that sex is so taboo? Honestly, it's because... In some ways, we're thinking, oh, America, we're so oversexed, all these sex and movies, and we're so open, but really, we're a very puritanical society. Oh, yeah. Where we are so uptight. It's shame, it's religion, it's our upbringing. We are terrified to talk about sex, to be maligned. I mean, I believe everything starts because we have horrible sex education in America and in most of the world, but only like 16 states require sex ed to be medically accurate. Oh, medically accurate. Hmm. And most of it is abstinence-based. So here we have kids being told that sex is going to be this amazing thing when you grow up. You can't really talk about it. You kind of have to giggle and it's a weird thing. Maybe you hear about giving a blow job in seventh grade, but you don't really know what any of it means. And if you do have sex education, I don't know about you, Dex or Monica, I had one day in sixth grade and all I remember was some kid like raised his hand. He's like, Mrs. Jones, can you fuck underwater? Like that's <laughs> all I remember. Uh, you can, but it's challenging. Yeah, it's, it's challenging. challenging. Yeah, yeah. And you think all the water would make great lubrication and no. it doesn't. It cancels out your natural lubrication. I didn't know any of that stuff, right? Yeah. So we have no education, right? And then you go off and have sex. And this was my experience. Like my journey was that like, it wasn't that great. Sure. I lost my virginity on my boyfriend's waterbed in Farmington Hills. Okay. And it was just like... <laughs> But I thought, this is it. This is not that interesting, that exciting. And what I found is so many kids today, because I talked to a lot of my friends' kids and nieces, it's the same exact thing. Nothing has changed as far as accurate, comprehensive sex education. So it's almost like handing our kids the keys to the car and saying, well, now you can go drive, but we never give them any driver's training. We don't talk about it. And then it's shamed. Well, and I'd argue it's been compounded by the ubiquitousness of pornography. So in fact, these kids have the illusion that they actually have more knowledge about sex because they've seen this roided out shaved guy pound a human being for 40 minutes straight. And that is what the guideline yeah. is. It's exactly it, because we didn't even have porn, right? Like right. You had like a magazine you'd look at, and then you were still kind of like, oh, but this is confusing to me. But now with porn, and there was a study that just came out this week, which just pissed me off even more, because it said that 18 to 24-year-olds, like 70% of them thought that porn is sex education. And in fact, 
it's the only sex that they have. That no one is telling them that that's not real. Right, right, right. Well, it's as real as a fist fight you see superheroes have in movies as well, because right. everything in movies is some abstraction of our bizarre fantasies, or whoever's writing it. <laughs> right, exactly. I talked to a friend's kid, he's like 17, and he called me because I'm very passionate about educating everyone, but definitely young people, because I realized that nothing has changed in the years that I was even in Michigan. So he's in Michigan, 17 years old. I'll call him John. Will you just talk to him, Emily? Because he's got a girlfriend. He won't tell me what's going on. So we get on the phone and he's like, was having problems with anxiety and his- Performance, sure, sure. Performance. And I said, well, John, do you watch porn? I'm just curious. He's like, well, yeah, of course. And I said, okay, no, no shame. No, because the last thing I do is tell people do not watch porn. Right. Yeah. I said, but just so you know, not really accurate. Like I'm looking at it going, you're nowhere near her clitoris. Like how is she having an <laughs> orgasm yeah. right now? Right? There's scripts. They cheat towards camera. They have makeup on their body parts. It's just not real. And he said, okay, okay. I hear you. If that's not real sex, then can you please direct me somewhere to go so I can see real sex? Right. And then I'm like, wow. I don't have anywhere for you to go, really. I mean, listen to my podcast or read these books or do all these things, but there's just not a replacement for it. And so it's problematic and it's also addictive and titillating. Yeah. So it's just very confusing. I'm trying to untangle that. I've said this before. I got so lucky, just dumb luck. This girl that was way older than me liked me and I was 15 and we hooked up in my bedroom and she just said like, let me walk you through all this stuff. <gasps> like, this is this, this is my clitoris. Don't go right at it, but start here, do this. And I was like, oh, absolutely. And I think the position of age power made her that confident and made my ego not get bruised. Like, oh yeah, this girl's older and she knows. And I don't know, had that not happened, how many years I would have gone along before. Because certainly none of my friends said, oh, by the way, this is how X, Y, and Z works. And my dad, even though he was super open, he didn't either. And if it would have happened in any household, it would have happened in mine. My dad spoke right. so openly about it. So I just think all the time, like, what a crazy lucky thing that happened that probably doesn't happen. You know what's so interesting about that, Dax, is that in all the years I've been doing it, I've talked to so many thousands of people and questions. Every time a guy has had that experience of being with an older woman, it's changed the trajectory of their sex life. They're like, well, there was this one woman and I met her in the summer and she came over and she showed me that I needed to go slow. Yeah. That I needed to pay attention. But honestly, that's probably one of the only experiences where I hear guys are like, I'm like, how did you know this? And they're like, there was an older woman. Yeah, yeah, there was a shaman. Literally <laughs> a sex shaman, like a, a vagina shaman who showed up at your door. Yeah, God bless you, Lisa. I mean, you should send her some flowers or something because <laughs> that was luck. I was raised to think that men got shipped off to some secret school when they were like 12 or 13. And someone sat down with them and said, this is what a woman wants. I thought they knew. So when I used to have sex with guys, I'd be like, well, they know what's up because guys know. Right. And then you come to find out they don't know anything and I don't know anything. So we should figure it out together. And the system hurts both parties because yes, every guy is aware of the fact that they're supposed to know. We're hip to that stereotype as well. Right. But the fact that you had a woman, yeah, yeah, you were able to be like, oh, I don't have to pretend because yeah. there's no way I could know because she's older. So that was the dynamic that I don't know what we're saying. I guess your listeners be like, I should go find an older woman. And I'm not necessarily <laughs> saying that, but, but find one. there's other ways to learn.
I think that it's a really weird cycle because the guys, no one's telling them, so they don't know. And then girls also feel that they have to like it. Right. You know, like they have to please the guy as well and make it seem like they are having fun or it's good. So they never even are able to share with the guy. Oh, actually, that didn't really feel good or we should do this. (laughs) Like everyone's in this mode of pretending. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. And that's how I was. I was faking it. I thought it was about their pleasure, the whole thing. So I'm going to circle back now to why we don't like to talk about it. Because among my theories, one is, of course, the puritanical history of this country. It is what it is. You go to Europe, clearly you see there's boobs on TV. German families are bare naked in the sauna together. It's clearly different. But I also think that because of all the things we just said, most people are entering into their sexual career with a great deal of fear. And that fear is I'm inadequate. I cannot please someone. I'm expected to please them. I'm expected to know all this stuff. I don't know it. And when it comes up, all that's going to happen is it's going to expose my partner to my shortcomings, or it's going to expose her shortcomings to me. There seems to be so much jeopardy in learning about it because one would have to admit that they're undereducated and we're all trying to be everything to our partner. And our greatest fear is that we're not doing it or we're failing. So I also think that's in the mix. Our greatest fear is right that we're not lovable and we're going to be rejected, right? So then we throw sex onto the mix and you're like, well, I certainly can't you know, mention that I don't know what I'm doing. So exactly what you're saying, it's like, I'd much rather fake it or pretend I know than actually have someone ridicule me or shame me for it. My big thing is communication is a lubrication. I've been saying that for 15 years, talk to your partner about sex. That's how you're going to learn. You know, people are starting to do it maybe in a healthier way, I hope. But we don't bring it up because we're like, I have no role models. No one's ever talked about it. So if somebody does say to their partner, like if they venture, they're like, you know what, babe, sex last night, it was a little painful or I wasn't really into it. We're so afraid that if someone brings up sex, that we are just the biggest fit, like our greatest fear that we are not good lovers or we're not lovable. Yes. And especially like giving feedback to our partners. Like people can't even get the words out of their mouth about what they want. Yes. I think it's so anchored in codependency that your fear is that you will trigger in them their inadequacy, which... Even if you're fucking Don Juan, I still will have to adjust 15 ways to 15 different people. So there is no, you're perfect out of the gates. You know what to do. It's always going to be an evolution. Everyone's different. Everyone I've been with has been different in some degree. I'm different than my friends as I talk to them. So we all need to accept no one's going to come out and knock a grand slam because you don't know yet. Right, exactly. There's nothing personal there. It's just... You need to read the owner's manual. And we don't like asking for directions, or I I hate to be like gender stereotypes. We obviously like men don't ask for directions, so they're not going to sit down and pay attention to the owner's manual. But I love what you're saying, because the truth is every partner is different. And this is the other thing I see, like you'll be with a guy and he's like doing something and you're like, clearly you got that from your last partner. And there is no part of me that is interested in that move. Yeah. (laughs) But so the great news here is that every time you're with someone new is such a wonderful opportunity to learn and to say, I'm with a new person. We are two people together that have never been together. My best advice is just to pay attention and to breathe and to be present. But when you go into autopilot, like I've seen this before, this penis or this clitoris, this is what I do. 
you don't know. Like, we're like snowflakes. Every penis is different. Every vulva is different. So, like, if you just know that, that there's no way you could even know. But when you're with someone new, if we could start to feel comfortable even saying, like, does that feel good? What do you like? And be present with how we're feeling then we'll all be great lovers. Yeah, I'm going to make a dumb analogy, but yeah, when you meet somebody, you don't go out to a restaurant and assume you could order off the menu for them. You're going to find out what they like to eat throughout this date and several others. And on the fifth one, you're going to suggest, ooh, I found an Italian one. I know you like this. You can't start there. I'd say this food analogy, similarly, that like when you go to a restaurant, you know, like you've had years of you're like, nope, whenever I go to Italian, I always get the chicken parm. I already know I don't love pasta as much. I don't like this kind of pizza, but I know because I've had years of eating Italian. So I know what's on the menu. I know what to order. With sex, we've never gotten a menu. We don't have an accurate menu. Or if we do, there's like three things on it. And then we just feel that we're supposed to, we're always all flailing around in the dark. And then we're just like having, you know, people are having pizza sex every night. Like they're having a pizza, they're having a pizza. And they're wondering why they're bored with pizza. It's like, yeah. that's how sex is for so many people. It's the same thing over and over again. And I try to give people a menu, like what is possible? And that's the thing. It's like, we're so ill-equipped to be sexually empowered. Well, there's these like layers of patriarchal fucking exactly. vestigial shit that's everywhere. But I will say this too about knowing yourself is a great start and then... What's great is if you can communicate with someone and you trust them, you could discover stuff, which is amazing. Like if the ball doesn't get rolling, the best case scenario is that you're going to somehow figure out a way to manipulate your way into getting what you want. But if it starts with recognizing fears, being vulnerable, and then that foundation's there, then I actually think what can grow out of that is like, what do we both don't even know we like? You know, like this openness to a whole different world. Right. I mean, I would just love to see people in relationships, whether it's a one night stand or it's a long-term relationship, constantly making their sex life part of the dialogue. Because they think if you're in a relationship, you decide where do we want to eat? If we get married, are we going to have kids? Are we going to live in the city? How important is our health and our spirituality and our religion? But sex, we hold on to the first three to six months of our sex life. That's like the honeymoon phase. Oh, it's about six months to two years. And that's biological. Like you're with somebody new and you have all the love hormones are raging and it's like the best sex ever, right? We get really attached to that. And then over time, it's just either it gets stale our bodies change. So rather than exploring it and getting curious, we just sort of fumble our way through it and crave the good old days rather than saying our sex life is going to be something that we want to prioritize in our relationship. So let's decide that it's just going to be part of our ongoing dialogue. And then it becomes fun. But I just am always trying to get people to get over that hurdle. Like the first few conversations might be weird, But to just say, yeah, I wasn't in the mood tonight and here's why. Or I listened to this podcast and I kind of got curious. You know, I realized we've never talked about our sex life, but we could start now. And what's the three most memorable times you've had sex? Like just easy things like that to get you both like, oh, yeah, we can kind of figure this out. But we just going back to society, we're so afraid to even broach that because that it's going to point to us that we are inferior and bad lovers and bad humans. Yeah. And do I have the biology wrong here in that, yes, those first few months, females in particular are getting this dump of oxytocin and they're getting a lot of different hormones that make sex so wonderful and appealing for some 
duration, three months, six months, whatever it is. And that guys have this evil poison coursing through their veins, which is testosterone. So their ability to sustain that is a little easier in that they have that chemical. And that women in general need more novelty, right? Is this all right or wrong? Like, so it's dangerous and rightish and scary and wrong. <laughs> it's right at all different phases. Like women also have testosterone. And I think it's the chemical makeup of when we get together with somebody, it is novel. It's exciting. It's new. It's spontaneous. You're having sex on the kitchen table. Can't wait to see you're ripping each other's clothes off in the car. And it's just like, you've never been with this person. You've never done this sex act. And that's all new. And so it mm -hmm. is novelty for both genders. So I don't know that it's more for men than women or for any gender, but when we come together in the beginning, I think it's just, they look at the brainwave patterns of people who are falling in love or in lust. I don't know if you've heard the study. It's the same as people who are on cocaine. I don't doubt that for one second as an addict of both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. Right. Of course. And then, you know what happens with that? First bump is great, right? First few. And then you're like, Root. and we don't know how to keep creating that high in a relationship, I hate to say this, but it's never going to be that, right. that newness again. But it could be something entirely different that is of equal value. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen that with so many couples. They can get into a new frontier, like go deeper into their connection. And, and like, there are so many things to explore. We have so many nerve endings on our body. We have so much capacity for pleasure. We only know like 2% of what's possible. We know the genitalia. We know the primary erogenous zones, penis, vagina, breasts, anus. But like, there's just so much more to us. And then I just, if everyone just gets curious about what is possible... There's just a lot to discover. Yeah. And there's a couple things I want to bring up that are specifically from your masterclass, but I wanted to get your perspective on a couple things before we got there. One is I have noticed a pattern. It's undeniable that when male friends of mine have been cheated on, the line of questioning is so predictable, it's insane. <laughs> I can imagine. And then when women are cheated on, they have a different line of questioning, or at least in my anecdotal circle. And I want to hear from both of you guys. For a guy, every time they're cheated on, the first thing is like, how big is his dick? <laughs> exactly. It's the most important thing in the world. <laughs> it's not, where'd you meet him? Are you guys in love? And <laughs> is, is he rich? You know, none of the things you'd think you'd be threatened by. It's how big was his dick? And did you come? That's like the next question. Maybe they pepper in a couple of bullshit ones, but they're going to end up with, did you come and how big was his dick? Yeah. And of course, what I can extrapolate from that is that is guys' biggest fears. <laughs> their biggest fears is that their penises aren't enough and that they are not giving their female partner enough orgasm. Or else, why is that the first thing they're threatened by? That's exactly it. And you know, the thing about that is it's so male because women... They don't care about your penis. Men are obsessed with their penis. Oh, Women yeah. don't care at all. We're like, the penis is our last concern. Like, are you a great lover? Do you care? You know, all the things. But yeah, that is true that men are like, how was he in bed? Was he bigger than me? Was he better? And then maybe they'd get to how much money does he make? But it's always about the if penis. If you had to stereotype what the female questions are, I've heard like, is she prettier than me? I think the first question is, are you in love with her? Oh, okay. Are you in love? I would say that would probably be a first question from a female if she yeah does. monica i think we almost hear that from women if we're gonna 
play the stereotype, you know, we'd be more horrified. Like, not if you had sex with her, like amazing sex, where like you met her parents, oh. you met her kids. Yeah. Like the emotional connection is what I think for many women were like, you talked to her three hours a night and you did all, you learned all this stuff, but rather than the sex, I think that some some women might be more forgiving about it. So that is sort of a flip. So the fear there is I'm not going to be emotionally enough for this person? Yeah, I think the fear of that you love somebody else. Right. Like, so I'm not worthy of love. Yeah, women, again, stereotyping, we might be more like, I don't care if you had sex with her as much as I do if you have a real heart connection to her. Right. And then for guys, they're like, yeah, it's okay. Maybe you went home and, you know, you guys went for a walk in the park. But if his dick was bigger than mine. Oh, a thousand know? percent of guys would way rather have their wife have a super emotional affair with a gay dude, even when on vacation <laughs> three months of the year and took him home to meet the parents than one night right. with a dude with a big dick. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I just think, and again, I'm stereotyping and I'm speaking very broadly because there's obviously so many more options than just male and female. But if I'm looking at male and female sex and we're comparing it to when I was a kid, I think if we don't address these societal things that boys are taking on, which are ridiculous and completely erroneous, and no matter how many times you gals say it, it doesn't seem to get through. So there needs to be some kind of societal shift that men aren't walking around with that fear and that women aren't walking around with their baggage of fear. Mm -hmm. If there's any shot of us like having this flourishing exchange. Yeah. I try because I have so many guys who call into my show and they're so terrified that their penis is too small and then they're shamed by it. I mean, obsessed. It's so it's embarrassing like for us. <laughs> Why can't they listen? This is what I don't know. They understand. don't listen. I'll tell you exactly why. They think you're being kind and lying to them to safeguard their feelings. Well, that is true. Because if we want to dismantle society, all the stuff that we believe about sex, it's because that's what you guys have been told. It's not your fault. Like, this is never even about like me, like, oh, God, I wish guys would get over it. You've been told since the beginning of time that sex is all about your penis going into a vagina, yeah. when in fact, only 25 to 30% of women are actually going to experience any kind of pleasure with your penis. And that 70% of women, if we're talking about orgasms, will have an orgasm with your mouth, with your fingers, with your hands. Like with you a should toy. be more concerned about with a toy. Like how are those working for you? How's your mouth skills? How are you at pleasing a partner? I'm telling you that all the time on my show, I'm just like, let me lay this down for you. That's why porn's so frustrating because I'm like, she's not having an orgasm right now. Like mm -hmm, he's not touching mm -hmm. her. He went right in. And so I think if we just look at the facts that I think that a woman would much rather have a guy who's a very like slow, attentive lover who's like, how can I please you? Like, let's go slow and let me discover all these ways. Let me massage your body. Let me slowly undress you. Let me go down on you. Let me do all these things. Again, there's size queens for sure. sure. And then there's guys who want large breasts, yeah. small breasts. Like I want to put it in that category. Like, Sure, you'll find a woman who's just focused on the penis, but you're going to find way more women who are concerned with every other thing in your package than your package. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else you bring to the table than your penis. I think the more people listen, they realize that. And that's why, again, going back to like communication and educating yourself with the partner that's in front of you. And in the other thing with penises, 
is that there's so many guys I hear from that were like, yeah, I was in the locker room, you know, when I was 18, you know, and some guy said it was small or some woman once said, well, you have a small penis and they're like 40 calling into my show. They're like, it's really small. You can't get it out of your head. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having you were some... not to out you. You were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be <laughs> Rob specific. and I received some texts. Yeah, I was morning. locked out of my therapy setting, <laughs> which is this attic. <laughs> but then you felt much better after. I felt much better, and I even made some apologies. Um, talking things out can be so helpful, and if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DAX. We are supported by ZipRecruiter. Are there some fantastic concerts coming to your city this summer? Mine too. In fact, Anderson Pack's playing at the Hollywood Bowl. I can't wait for it. Ooh, that's exciting. If you want to be sure to see your favorite artist, you need to jump on it right away. I've already DM'd him saying, yes, I got to be in that front row. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Got your eye on a rock star candidate? ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature lets you cut the line. Once you review ZipRecruiter's list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply to encourage them to apply sooner. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. (laughs) 
Well, this is why I wrestle with Monica hourly about this. Monica's very objectively beautiful, like crazy. Yes. Doesn't matter yes. how many fucking people think so or how many times I tell her, she just can't hear it. She refuses facts on the surface. Well. Here we go. Let's hear <laughs> I want you to be able to relate to guys. You're like, no. Yeah, you just like me. These people just care about me. That's what Woo! a guy's saying. Oh, she just doesn't want to hurt my feelings. She'd yeah. way rather be with. I mean, it's the same It's record. hard to undo the childhood stuff. That yeah. is of course. true. That's it what is. we're here for. We are here to unpack all that stuff and you're never done. And when you're a boy, I mean, I can tell you guys as the boy here where it starts is any group of six kids that are in fifth grade are going to show each other their penises. That happens to probably 80% of boys. And then they are ranked. <laughs> and that is a status in their peer group. And so it's very hard to imagine that that's not part of the status in your group, considering that that's who it's for. So it starts as a logical, like, you know, even the dudes care. Bigger is better. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I think that if anything, these last year, it's like, who are the people that make you feel good? Whose energy, whether it's your friends or lovers, I think we just want to get to know someone. We want to be more authentic. So when someone's in your presence, I think that, again, we're growing up, like it's all about your looks and all this stuff. But when someone actually meets you and sits with you in your energy and your presence, like that becomes attractive. That's the whole thing. So much about connection is about everything. The energy, how you move through the world. It's not even just about the external. I'm going to go further in my anecdotal experience, which is I've had a range of different lovers and some of them were people that could have been on a magazine cover. Zero relationship between those two things and how pleasurable the intimacy right. was. The greatest lovers are the ones, this is why I talk so much about masturbation, because I truly think that that was a game changer for me when I realized like, oh, I got to stop faking orgasms and being all about the guy, like getting into my body. Like, I think that's what made me a better lover and being more present was like, oh, now I know what feels good. I know how to move. I know what I want, what I don't want. That I truly think is the sexiest and most attractive thing when you're like in your body, you know what you want and you're comfortable, like no matter what size and shape. But, you know, I think all the years that I would just sort of be a performance. Like, I think women are raised to be so performative in the bedroom. Yeah. Well, again, watch a porno. So the guy thinks he has to last for an hour and just hammer away and until these yeah. multiple orgasms happen. And the girl thinks right. she's got to scream as loud as she can. Yes. And so, yeah, we're both getting fucked. Like, it's not even about men or what, yes, maybe men, the patriarchy puns more porn and yeah. porn is more made by the male gaze for men. But that's why I want to like us all to be like, what do we all need individually? Like put your own mask on, put your own hand on your pants first. What is that? Like, when do you feel the most beautiful, the most sexual, the most confident? And I think that for me, it's come from just truly understanding that. I mean, I had to untangle all of the stuff from being performative. So like when women call in in their twenties, they're like, Oh, how do I give a good blowjob? And how do I, I'm like, Okay, well, I'll answer that, but tell me, how do you get off? Like, yeah. how do you have orgasms? Because, I don't know, Dax, you're the penis in the room now. Like, don't you think a woman who knows herself is... Oh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to just put a little tiny finer point on what I was saying <laughs> earlier about the range of lovers I've had. The thing I want to be specific about is it's not that I think hot people are just going to lay there because they don't really have to do anything more. It's probably more that I had sex with the hot person because they were hot. And then oh. the other lovers I was attracted to because I was talking to them and we were on some what? wavelength. And then it turns yes. out that that wavelength was a shared sexuality and there was a communication and there was like a creativity in by and large 
that mental connection has made for such more explosive and fulfilling yes. physical interactions because it's the mind play that's happening, right. which you're not selecting for with the hot person in general. Right, exactly. You're like, I don't need to know anything else about her because <laughs> yes. she's hot. Right. So there was no other depth to it. And then, yes, to your pleasure thing, I think what I would most want in a lover would be that they love masturbating. They love pleasure. They love giving themselves pleasure. They are pursuing that goal for themselves because yeah. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of someone trying to be something. I want to like lock onto the train that's steaming down the tracks and go for a ride. Right? I mean, you want someone who knows because you don't want to be the one who's only the only one getting pleasure, but that's a growth thing because maybe younger guys are like, I don't even know that. Well, this goes back to the comprehensive sex education. Guys are just like assuming younger men maybe, but some older who never get this message that it is about their pleasure and how a woman performs for them. But once you get more knowledge, you realize that I definitely want a woman who, who knows her body and can share stuff with me. Well, I just want to say while you're on this topic, in the masterclass, you make the statement that you're responsible for your orgasm. Yes. You got to stop this paradigm where my partner's got to give me an orgasm and it's now all the power's in the partner's hands. None of it's yeah. in yours. Then you go back to why we don't talk about sex. There is so much shame around self-pleasure oh. that it's like, oh, if you grew up in a home or an environment or culturally, religiously, and they were like, don't touch yourself, don't masturbate, you're going to go blind. Once you get married, all of that stops. You never just go, oh, wait, maybe that was bullshit. Maybe that doesn't serve me anymore. Like, maybe I no longer believe that. And it doesn't even have to be that corrosive. So I grew up in a non-religious house with a mother who was super duper liberal and pro-sex, but I didn't have a dad there to go like, hey, by the way, you're going to start wanting to jerk off and that's fine. <laughs> just that puzzle piece missing. And then whatever I consumed from media, I felt tremendous shame masturbating. I tried to stop all the time. I was always trying to quit masturbating. And right. I didn't even have that other shit. Right. That's exactly it. You didn't even have that, but you're like, there's probably something wrong with it because everything that has to do with sex is sort of dirty and seedy and wrong, except for procreation. Even if no one told you that, you somehow get the message from society that it's like somehow wrong. And then the other things people reach out about is like, is masturbation cheating? Is watching porn cheating? Oh, I'm like, wow. no, masturbation can be, yeah, all the time. I think I just, last night someone called in, they're like, is it cheating my partner or we get jealous? Thing is, I remember being like 24 and my boyfriend was watching porn and I was so confused because I saw what he was watching and I thought, does he want me to have blonde hair? Oh. Does he want me to have bigger, larger breasts? Like, Does he want me to have three penises in me at once? Exactly, right. Well, that's the <laughs> other thing. Like, ugh. So you're like, what am I doing wrong? What do you tell people about that? Because I do think in relationships, porn is an issue for a mm. lot of people. It is. And they think it's cheating or it's not allowed or what's your stance on that? It's a great question because it's like uh, my stance is that like anything. So to say the extreme side of porn, yes, it can become a problem. Like if you're doing it so much, like we can go to that extreme. If you're doing it so much that it becomes, you can no longer get aroused by your partner. Mm -hmm. You have to keep escalating the kind of porn you're watching that it is like 18 million penises and gangbangs. And like now your real partner is like, doesn't do it for you. And you're obsessively doing it. And it's, it has a consequence, right? Like that's how you know with addiction. It's a consequence and you can no longer get to work because all you're doing is masturbating. It's a problem. 
But like just your run of the mill masturbation, watching porn is actually part of being sexually healthy overall. It's actually a really healthy thing. And I always say like your partner's going to masturbate with you, without you. They did it before they met you. They're going to do it in their relationship. So I think normalizing it and talking about it and even like letting your partner know this is kind of makes me uncomfortable. I think that's okay to talk about, but then to realize that a lot of the people I hear that from is they don't have their own practice of masturbation. So yeah. and I do hear it more from women than men. That yeah. one I will say that I hear it from women every day who are like, is it cheating? Is it wrong? And I understand that too. Cause again, all the things I talk about, I went through that. It's just a confusing message because I was young and I thought our sex was the best ever. Like we are having the best sex of our lives at 24. And how could you want that? <laughs> Might have so, been. Thank God it wasn't, right? Usually there's so many things underlying it. So let's say a woman calls in and I'm like, Talking to her about it, it's always like a little bit of her, maybe her own insecurities or her last partner. For every person, they have their story. Her last partner cheated on her. Mm. Maybe her last partner was actually addicted to porn. So it's a trigger. Maybe she felt like she actually had never had an orgasm herself. So it was confusing. Typically, what is getting us with our partner, what's frustrating us when people are like, my partner does this and that, it's always about our own stuff. Yeah. I also think even talking about porn being good or bad is the same as saying is alcohol good or bad. Well, for 21% of America, alcohol is very destructive and terrible. And for 80, it's wonderful. So I think what happens in these conversations with couples, the ones I've been aware of, is they feel a lot safer and a lot less vulnerable in proving that what's being done is pathological or morally wrong or an addiction as opposed to the harder course, which is, I'm threatened by that. I'm worried you're not attracted to me. I'm worried I'm not enough. Like that conversation is solvable. You giving your moral judgment on the entire world of pornography and holding that line is, I don't think, productive. Exactly. And a lot of guys, yeah, there's a lot of guys out there regulating their emotions with pornography and it's pathological and destructive. And that's a conversation, but it still isn't even a conversation about the morality of pornography. No, you're absolutely right. To just declare it's all bad or it's all good with anything, you're right. Some people kind of handle their porn and that's exactly what it is. And so I love what you said about like, if we could have those conversations and say, babe, when you watch porn, it actually makes me feel less desirable. It triggers my not enough thing that I have. You know, I have that thing. And they're like, oh, but you know, babe, what do you need to feel? You know, and then you could get like really real and be like, it makes me feel vulnerable. Like, oh, I don't want you to feel that way. And then if you could get to the next layer would be like, well, what would you need to feel attractive? Like, what would you need from me in this moment to feel the most lovable? Right, but if your approach is I'm amoral, I'll fight that to the day I'm dead. Yeah. Like, who gives you the right to tell me what? <laughs> it's just not a exactly. winnable conversation. You will never win that. And yeah. that's why we want people to, you know, I know you guys want the same things. We will just get into the real vulnerability of the fights because the fight's about good and bad and right and wrong and relationships never go well. And so many couples have those, not just porn, but everything. I like that you said one of your responses is, what are you doing for yourself? Because I think part of the reason certain women really despise the idea of their partner looking at porn is they think like, well, I'm doing everything that you want. Like I'm trying to be perfect for you. Why am I not? And I think if they switch their mindset to like, what do I want? What do I like? Right. Then 
it kind of takes the focus off. You're not able to please them. It's like, well, what about you? Well, yeah, it shifts right. it where it should be. Is like, forget what you were giving him or not giving him. What do you want? Exactly. What do you want? That's exactly it. My, I go back every time with someone. I'm like, what do you want? What's about you? Because once we fill our own cup and you're like, you yeah. go watch all the porn you want because I'm having a really good time yeah. here getting to know my body. Like, I know exactly what I want. Yeah, fill my cup up 100%. And yeah. I'm not going to give a fuck what you do after that. Yeah. And then that's attractive too to a partner who's going through their own sexual awakening. And I think we all want that. But until we really take the time to really learn to understand our, our own machinery and our own connection to our sexuality, it's really hard to be in, in healthy relationships, I think. And again, I don't think you're ever done. That's the big joke at the end of life. Like no matter what you do, there's always layers to pull back know that you never just get there. People think sex is like, I learned to golf. Like I took a few lessons, now I can golf. Like I learned sex, check. You don't ever learn sex. Like you don't ever just learn health. You're never just, I'm healthy, check. It's a lifelong process of becoming comfortable with your body, your desires. I mean, your desires change over time. Like sometimes you might be into like kinkier things, but then you're like, can we just have vanilla sex? You know, mm. sometimes you're into toys, sometimes you're not. You know what I'm saying? Like, and to give yourself permission to grow and change is part of what's going to make your sex life really rich and complex and go the distance with you. But when we constantly get attached to this one place of how sex should be, mm. that's also holds us back. Yeah. Could you tell us overall, like, I think a lot of people probably deprioritize their sexual wellness, but yes. I would like you to tell us what the impact of sexual wellness is on your overall wellness. I do talk about this in the masterclass a lot. We deprioritize it. We put it on the back burner. We don't even really think it matters or it becomes messy. So we just say, well, we'll get back to our sex life. What we also don't realize is that a lot of the reasons why we're not feeling well overall like mentally not well or physically is because we are not sexually healthy and sexually well. You know, even orgasms, right, are really important for our well-being. Like they also help with, you know, our overall moods. They can boost immunity. They can clear our skin. We have the burst again of those feel-good hormones. It can change your mood. Like sometimes I'll even forget. I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't masturbated in a few. Okay, I feel better. Having a healthy sexual relationship. And again, whether it's with ourselves, like we're single, I'm single, or with a partner, it's still something that we have to put in our bucket. Like we're going to work out. We're going to eat healthy. We're going to go to our religious place. And we're going to prioritize our sexual health and wellness. It's only in the last five to 10 years that we even have industries looking at sexual health and wellness as a category. It was always like the bastard child of the health industry. And it still sort of is. So I think that we don't realize that sex is so many more things. It's connection. It's love. It's intimacy. It's our bodies. And so I just want people to unpack it and prioritize it in a way that will change your overall life. Because when we feel sexually confident and healthy and connected, it's going to impact every other area of our life. Well, I don't know if these are wives' tales or they're backed by science, but I grew up learning that you should masturbate when you're sick because what you just said, it boosts your immune system and can help you get over a cold. And I heard that women should masturbate when they're having menstrual issues. Yes, it helps with PMS. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the last time we think we should masturbate. We're like, <laughs> oh, I'm uncomfortable. We're like, I have cramps. Like, I just want to sit here and eat ice cream in bed. And I am telling you, like, it's prescriptive. Like, an orgasm a day, get a toy, 
do whatever, it changes your state. You have that rush again. You have serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin. Yeah. Well, I like what Esther Perel says. Like if you think of eroticism as its true Latin kind of definition, which is really zest for life. It's uh, something that makes you flourish. Yeah. Now, I want to set you up for one of your main messages. You're very in favor of lube. Can you tell us the value of lube? Walk us through lube. I know you love okay, lube. So I'm obsessed with lube. And I, <laughs> one of my visions is a lube on every nightstand. Lube gets such a bad rap. Like, oh, I'm going to get the lube out, you know, if she's dry or there's uncomfortable. Like it's under the bed. It's we're hiding it. And the truth is, is that 80% of women were more likely to orgasm when you add lube to any sexual situation. So I'm talking masturbation. Hmm any kind of sexual act, penetration, anything. Because our clitoris is not going to lubricate itself is the one thing. And that's where all the magic is. But also our wetness level. So this is the other thing we're told. Oh, babe, you're so wet. You're so turned on that that signals to a man, I'm doing it right. My penis was big enough. She's yeah. turned on all the things. This is the female equivalent of erectile dysfunction. Exactly. I think that's why lube's nowhere because it feels like a failure on the woman's part. Exactly. It feels like a failure. But let me tell you this to just put make everyone feel a little bit better about it is that you might be really wet and not turned on. You might be super turned on and not wet, or you might be wet at the beginning of sex, but you're not 10 minutes later. It's not a clear indicator of your arousal. Well, I don't want to get dark, but it's come up in a lot of these recent rape cases, which is that's part of the defense is like, oh, well, she was very wet. And it's like, well, she was afraid for her life and was aroused in all the ways a body exactly. can arouse itself. It right? by no means means she was enjoying it. Exactly. That doesn't mean anything. That is true. I think because it's a protective mechanism to get wet. But what we don't understand and what we don't have a lot of knowledge about is that our hormones play a huge factor in attraction and arousal and desire. And for different times of month, as women move through different stages of their cycles, you're going to be wet, and this is different for every woman, maybe you're wet before your period, but then after you're a little bit drier. And so just to say, like, I literally do have like three different lubes on my nightstand, get a pump bottle of lube and just put it in your hands before you do anything. You're guaranteed that it's going to feel better because also if, if it's too dry, this is when you can get tearing, you know, an STI infection, it's painful that when you just say like, I will not have sex without lube. And it's funny because a lot of my listeners too are just like, I got it. I'm like, they send me pictures. Like I got the lube on the nightstand. I heard one of your callers and the guy was like, yeah, we have three bottles on the nightstand. <laughs> we had to clean up before the housekeeper came. <laughs> right. Like just put them out there and, and use it. So that is one of my big things to get rid of the shame and, and the lube because it's a game changer. Mm. It's funny because I didn't, when I started, I wasn't like, this is going to be my thing. But then I realized, oh my God, no, people still feel this way about lube. Well, listen, I want people to listen to your master class because I think we all are painfully in the dark when it comes to sex and sexuality and pleasing ourselves. And I think yep. you're providing a great service with this master class. And I have one last question before we go, which is, are dudes super intimidated to sleep with you? <laughs> Do you know that that's like the top question I get asked? Is it? Can I just say, we have a friend whose mother teaches tantric sex. Yeah. And I said, man, if I met your mom, I'd be very nervous to have sex with her because I don't know how to fucking have tantric sex. Like, it's 12 hours. It's a very intimidating. It's funny because even my mom just asked me that last week. She's like, are guys intimidated to date you? So I started Sex with Emily, my podcast, 15 years ago. And I 
was like, I'm just, no, it's not, I'm not intimidating. I'm just like a nice girl from Michigan who- Loves lube. Who loves lube. <laughs> Little did I know then how much I would love lube. Like, so I was like, no, I'm just, I'm like a normal chick who's in the bedroom and figuring it out. And now I do think that after 15 years and a doctor in human sexuality, and then you get a master class. So I'm like, oh, now you're the master of sex. I'm like, fuck, it's going to be even harder to date now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I feel like that they probably are. But then once you meet me, I'm such a, in a way, it's like really is my job. I talk about it 24 seven. I love, I love what I do. I'm passionate about educating people. And you know, I think that the guys that get to my bedroom are like, they're not intimidated. They're at peace but, with the whole thing. But then I've asked them afterwards. I'm like, were you, were you nervous about that? He's like, I was, yeah, I was fucking nervous. I'm like, you did a good job because I didn't know you were. I mean, they picture that I'm there with like a bullhorn, like yelling, like, <laughs> to the left, to the right. That's not my clitoris. I'm like, no, I'm so not that chick. Fail. I give you an E. <laughs> <laughs> Well, your podcast is awesome, Sex with Emily. So everyone should listen to that. They should also watch your master class and they should just embrace and explore and go into these uncharted waters because it's it's so fun. That's what I want for people. I want to take out the shame. Yeah. Sex game. Well, Emily, thank you so much. Thanks for the work you do. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Last. All right. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. If you listen for a while, AG1 shouldn't be new to you. What's not new to me, I've been a fan for over six years. I have it every morning. I had it this morning. But if you haven't tried it yet, seriously, it's such an easy way to improve your health. It replaces multiple health supplements like multivitamins, digestive aids, immune support, and more in just one simple scoop. In 60 seconds... I know I'm covering my nutritional bases and setting myself up for success to tackle the day. And for how simple it is, it's crazy what a difference it makes. It's full of prebiotics for my gut, vitamin B to keep my energy up, magnesium for my stress levels. I could keep listing ingredients and benefits all day, but you just need to know it works. So I've partnered with AG1 for so long because they make such a high quality product that I genuinely look forward to drinking every day. If you want to find out your newest healthy habit, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase at drinkag1.com dax. That's drinkag1.com dax. Check it out. We are supported by New Balance. Whether you're going for your first ever jog around the park, Getting ready for a marathon or even picking up the pace on the last stretch before you get home, if you run, you're a runner. Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance. Run your way. Visit newbalance.com running to learn more. We are supported by Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Mm. Ooh. Myrtle Beach, I have so much nostalgia. Me too. I did a spring break in Myrtle yes. Beach. Yes. Did you guys used to go there from Georgia? Yeah. It mm. was a very common beach destination. Ugh. Long sun-drenched days, live music every night, and 60 miles of uninterrupted coastline to enjoy. The beach truly is where your best self comes out. Combine that with the irresistible aroma of fresh seafood, southern classics, and local low country cuisine from over 2,000 restaurants, and you've got yourself the perfect vacation. You belong at the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. That's visitmyrtlebeach.com. 
And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. Hello, Monster Mouse. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. It's almost Valentine's Day. It is. You know what I'm going to be doing this weekend, though? What? It's the Daytona 500. Can I just say life is really shaping up for us because Top Gear is now a sponsor. Mm -hmm. CarMax is a sponsor. Mm -hmm. And NASCAR is a sponsor. Yeah. This is for slowly you, turning into automotive, automotive Eden. Yeah. Can I tell you something? Yeah. Do you know who owns a NASCAR team now? <gasps> Danny Ricardo. Uh, even better. Who? Michael Jordan. Really? Yes. Michael Jordan bought a NASCAR team. Really? Your favorite. Okay, number I'm 23. In. I'm, in. I'm in. By the way, I wonder if it's going to have 23 on the team. Let me tell you something even cooler than that. Do you know who his driver is? Oh. Bubba Wallace. Really? How cool is that? Oh my God. I love this. Yeah. We got to get Bubba Wallace on the show, by the way. Yeah. I really want to. Yeah. Okay. That's not where it even ends. Pitbull has a team. Jesus. All these cool. Do you have a team? <laughs> You're right. Why don't I have a team? <laughs> For me, you know, it's kind of like a tradition. You know what I'm saying? I look forward to it. It's like the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Like there's a nostalgia aspect for me. But Monica, they go 200 miles an hour for 500 miles. That makes sense. That makes sense why and then they get in incredible crashes and parts are flying up in the sky. People are taking flight. Oh, God. It's so exciting. So listen, if you want to watch it with me, okay, it's on 2.30 Eastern on Fox. Okay? Okay. Meet Dax there. Everyone's invited to meet me there. So listen. I encourage you, Monica, to watch it. It's the Great American Race, the Daytona 500, on this Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox. And I promise you will not be disappointed. Will it's, Michael Jordan be there? I bet he will be there. He's the team owner. I'm going to watch. All right, 2.30 Eastern on Fox. And that Sunday. is Valentine's Day. So you're probably going to have to do that. And then you're going to have to do something lovey-dovey. And what do you think that will be? Well, we have a bad, we have a really bad track record. I was going to ask. Yeah. Like, do you guys do stuff? We don't really do anything. Yeah. And then um, what tends to happen, and I don't know why this is always the case, but I generally am always out of town. Oh, weird. It started right when we started dating. The first Valentine's Day, I went to Afghanistan. Oh. And then I went. Again, in 2009 on Valentine's Day. So two, romantic. two of three years, I was uh, in a little mountainscape wow. during Valentine's Day. Do you believe in, you know, like some people, some people are really anti-Valentine's Day, which everyone's entitled to their own opinions on everything. But I think it's nice. And I've never, literally never had a Valentine. Oh, come on. No, I like haven't. my mom was my Valentine. No, not like my mom. You know what oh, I mean. Okay. <laughs> Your dad never asked you to be his Valentine. No. What? He doesn't, he doesn't know about Valentine's uh -oh. Day. Oh, that, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Does he do anything for your mom? Probably not. Yeah. It's hard for a guy to wrap his head around, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know why I think it can be triggering? It feels like a trap. It feels like this day that has been created by presumably Hallmark or some company to be a trap where everyone has to be evaluated on how thoughtful they are towards the person they love. And to me, I'm like, no, no, just be thoughtful all year long. I think it's just a nice day to, to be like, hey, I love you. You're yeah. special to me. And you don't have to do anything super crazy, but I just think it's a nice, look, we have like national you know, popcorn day. Like, I think it's okay to <laughs> yeah. have a day that celebrates love. Love is important. I agree. But can I just give it to you from the guy's perspective? Because it's this, I've had this experience like eight times and it's hysterical. You go to the flower shop on Valentine's Day and in line are 30 
confused guys yeah. looking around going like, oh my God, what, the, what am I supposed to get? Like, what is- Yeah, can I tell you something? You, what? That's not thoughtful. Oh. I know everyone, like that, going and just getting some generic flowers uh-huh. and then expecting oh, shit, that I to just cross the flowers it off I got the you. list. <laughs> <laughs> just, Fuck, you know, I got to see how I canceled the 1-800-Flowers <laughs> I sent you. You don't have to get people flowers. Mm. Like, you know, that's what that's, I'm saying. It's yes, I, I, I get that. But I just, I would, I wish you could see. In fact, you should. You should go to a fucking flower shop on Valentine's Day and just look at all the dumb guys there. They're all so scared. They don't know what they're doing and they're panicked and it's hysterical. Imagine that there was a holiday where every woman went to um, uh, o- 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 O'Reilly's and bought auto, picked out auto parts for their husband. You're making it about the woman. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that. No guy, no guy in the world wants to celebrate Valentine's oh, Day. Oh, you don't like being told that you're loved? Of course I like that. That's a, that seems like a weird null hypothesis. No, it doesn't. That's literally what it can told, be. I love being told I, uh, I'm loved. Yeah. Yeah, but I am not expecting someone to go out and buy me some colorful thing I, to tell me that. I don't think it's, I don't, th- I think that's a stereotype that women expect like a big bouquet of flowers. It can just be a celebration of love. Well, yeah, that'd be great if that's what it was. I am saying no man is expecting anything on Valentine's Day. And I do think women are expecting something. Mm. There is a big, big gender difference here in this holiday. Yeah. A lot of couples I know, they like do something for Valentine's well, Day as have, opposed to presents. It's like, have a we're going to do it. Yeah. Okay. So that, then, then, then becomes my next complaint. Okay. So you're going to try to go to a restaurant on Valentine's yeah, Day? Yeah, too crowded. It's just a beating. Yeah. Like the whole well, thing. Also be, right now. It's just, it. it's like, why do we all pick this day to have, like, here's what I'd love. Everyone should at least more than once a year take their honey to a nice restaurant with yeah. the sole purpose of saying, I love you and appreciate you. Yeah. I don't love that it's coordinated. That's my okay, issue. Okay, but that's just because you don't like being told what to do. Well, I don't like trying to eat at a restaurant on the busiest day of <laughs> okay, the year. You don't have- I would never, like, if you just told me the busiest day in the restaurant world is um, March 18th, I go, guess what day I'm not going out to eat? Sure. Mar- March 18th. Sure. <laughs> I'm not, no one has do to do Do you see any of my points I'm making? Yes, but okay. I, I, this is so far off of what I'm saying, which is some people have a really big anti-Valentine's Day thing. And I, I think that's silly. I think it's a, it's nice to tell people you love them. And if today is a day that we like recognize that, mm-hmm. that's nice. I think it doesn't not have to be about gifts or flowers or chocolate or whatever. Well, then I'm in lockstep with you. Okay, great. Yeah. I, I love love. Me too. It's so lovely. I know. It's the neatest thing that us monkeys do on this planet. Exactly. It's the one thing that the aliens look down on and they really... They like it. I think the aliens like Valentine's Day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they just more notice like, wow, everyone went out to eat today. That's a weird coincidence. Didn't that happen last year around this time? (laughs) Again, I'm saying this as someone who's never... I should be the person who's like, ugh, Valentine. And I do yeah. know, I do have people who feel that way. And it reminds them that they're, quote, alone. And I think, no, like, reinvent that. It's, you're not alone. There's so many people in your life that love you and that you love, and you can make that day about that. 
Well, that's what I'm saying. I asked my sister to be my Valentine. I asked my daughters to be my Valentine. Like, I ask a lot of people to be my Valentine. It's a great day to have a Valentine. It is. Yeah. Remember in class? Yes. I was just thinking about that. You give it to everybody. You say, will you be my Valentine to everybody in your class? Did you like those little chalky heart candies? Um, I tasted terrible, <laughs> yeah, but they I loved did. reading them. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, me too. The white ones were pretty good. They're bad, though. Yeah, like, they're bad. <laughs> the first six you'd eat, you hate it, and then you just kind of get into a rhythm of it, and you keep eating them, and then you convince yourself, like, the 20th one was good. <laughs> oh, in my high school, I don't remember if this was Valentine's or if this was, like, just a random day, but there was carnation buying oh sure, sure. oh Ugh, that's stressful so because then you're gonna not be someone who got one delivered is that how it worked yes so oh. there's carnations and you you mm. buy them mm. from your the school oh. and then you give them to people and so then it's just like this contest of who has the most car- like some, oh. some girls walking around with like 20 carnations oh, just in a their big hand. floral arrangement yes. i just thought of one thing that you should know which is i'm from michigan so that's part of my issue because in Michigan, we fucking celebrate sweetest day. Do you know this? No. Oh, my God. Yes, nobody knows that that doesn't live in Michigan, or I think maybe they do in Ohio. We have a fucking, we have two Valentine's Day in Michigan. Okay. We have sweetest day. Sweetest? Yes. Okay, that completely makes no sense. made up by Hallmark, and it worked. For some reason, us Michiganders <laughs> were like, we love that. So twice a year, you're supposed to buy something just for the sake of buying it to say you love somebody. So- I think I hit capacity between sweetest day and Valentine's Day. I was like, what, what the is hell? all this pressure? What does that even mean, sweetest? It's so stupid. Shall I look it up for you? Yes, Because I'm telling you, it's just Valentine's Day. It's the second fucking Valentine's Day. Oh, Sweetest day is a holiday that is celebrated in Midwestern United States, parts of North America, and in Florida, especially Tampa, Florida. Oh, wow. <laughs> on, the, <laughs> on the third Saturday in October. It is a day to share romantic deeds or expressions and acts of, of charity and kindness. Sweetest Day has also been referred to as Hallmark Holiday or a concocted promotion created by candy industries solely to increase sales. I get it. I get that if there could be a big expectation in certain relationships and then that would be f- stressful. And just women in, in their friendship circle having to say what their sweetest Get, got for them. I remember when I was working at this um, for this race team when I was 15, and one of the guys had just moved up from, um, I think, Illinois or something. And his wife was not talking to him that day because he hadn't gotten her anything for Sweetest Day. And he's like, We just moved here. I didn't Uh-oh. even know that was a holiday, oh, and you're no. mad at me. And he was in the doghouse. I just think it's hysterical that in her first year there, she was like, This is a holiday we're celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> That we didn't know about a month ago. So Emily talked to us about sex. Can I pause you? Yeah. The most important fucking part of this whole day is three years, sister. <gasps> three years. You're three right. Years. I forgot. This is our anniversary, Armchair Experts anniversary. I was remembering that most of the argument we just had. <laughs> I wanted to get to the part where I said congratulations and happy three-year anniversary, which is so much more important than any of the things we're talking about to me. Definitely more important than Sweetest Day. Mm-hmm. Let's do another high five. So a big high five. That's the sound of a high five. Thank you, Armchairies. Yes. You're oh, our sweetest. You are our sweetest day. Day. <laughs> For real. We are so grateful. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, you cannot imagine what you've given us. 
Also, this it's been a year also since Monica and Jess. Yeah. Which is crazy. Oh, my gosh. So it's been a year since that release. Um, and some people were asking about it recently on a comment thread. And, I, you know, just putting it out that we are going to do a season two. Yeah. So, you know, hold your horses. <laughs> and uh, it, it's Yeah, no one wants a season two to kick off in quarantine. I don't. I want you guys to be able to get out on the town and do some well, shit. We're doing something different with season two. It's kind of like we learned about ourselves in season one. We mm -hmm. got a lot of information. And in season two, we're kind of putting that a little more into action, even though there were action steps last time. It, this is a, a little bit different. It's going to be fun. It's going to be next level. The rubber's going to meet the road. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Okay. You're going to go on so many dates. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Emily talked to us about sex. Uh-huh. Sexual activity. Never had it. Coitus. She made it sound good, though. I'm thinking about trying it. Are you? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Sex is interesting. It is. I think, you know, I've got my own... Uh, pulpit I stand on and preach about sex. Yeah. Which is I'm always so angry. It's so such a sensitive topic. It drives me nuts. It's just I hate puritanical stuff. Yeah. It's like this great gift everyone has. It's the greatest gift that is given to humans. It, I mean, as far as like just pleasure in and transcendence and it's not a drug. You don't have a hangover. It's good for your cardiovascular system. It's good for everything in your body. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then they've piled all this shame on top of it. And that angers me. It is a beautiful, pure thing. There's shame, but there's also, it's weaponized. And it can be, can be used as a drug, for sure. So it's not just pure bliss. There's a lot that goes along with sex that can be negative, which is why, uh, it's separate from being shamed. Yeah, it's but just more I would, complicated than I, I think you lay it out. Well, I would just say, though, that I would put those things in different categories. Uh, to me, that sounds a little bit like saying, like, when people wanted gay marriage and people were like, well, let's just legalize pedophilia. It's like, well, hold on. Pedophilia and gay marriage are not comparable in any sense. And someone being a sexual predator and when I'm talking about the joy of sex between two people who love each other, those aren't the same thing. So I'm talking about the joy of intimacy with somebody that you love. And then there's this other perversion of it, a bastardization of it. But I don't think those aren't the same thing. But you're not just talking about intimacy with someone you love. You're saying there's shame around sex. Sex does not have to be with someone you love. No, it, it doesn't have to be. But sex, consensual sex is nothing that someone should feel shameful about. And masturbation is not something. That's yeah, I agree. And the pleasures of the self are not to be a source of shame. I agree. But consensual sex is one portion of the pie. And I don't mean like pedophilia is the other portion or sexual predators. It's like even within relationships, sex can be used negatively. Mm -hmm. So, but I agree that there should, should not be shame around it. And that is the cause of Or secrecy. Of so I don't understand the secrecy. Right, right, right. I mean, that's true. I don't understand our total acceptance and embracing of violence and not sex. That that to mm -hmm. me seems like we have some pretty fucked up priorities as a yeah. society. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so she said how many nerve endings are there in the human body? So according to one of the things I found, it said over 7 trillion nerves Ooh. in the human body. Mm. The clitoris. Okay, don't know what that is. But has 8,000 nerve endings. And it's double than the penis. Double the nerve endings. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? This feels like a good time to retell this story. I know I've told it before, but this is just to say how unique Laura LeBeau was. She said, there's a lot of nerve endings in the anus. Some people find it pleasurable and some don't. Should I check how many are in the anus? Yeah. Well, if the anus is the clitoris, we're all ignoring. God, my computer. I, know, I noticed you were really pushing hard on the, the keys. The end doesn't work. Oh. And it's like. You need ugh. it. I think it's because remember that dog when we were on vacation in Michigan? Dollard's dog? Yes. He ran on my computer. Okay, and got some sand under it? Everything. And uh, like since then, the thing has not been. Do you want Dollar to Venmo you? His wife listens to the show. Yeah, dollar. Um, <laughs> is it dollar or dollard? Dollard. Okay, yeah, dollar. I, can't you, I cannot believe you remembered that. You I can't only, remember anyone's uh, name. I only remember it because so often I have to ask Kristen, was his name? I always am trying to remember it because oh, it's such a unique name. It sure is. Dollard. Okay, it just says the anus has a relatively high concentration of nerve endings. Mm. Hold on, University of Michigan, ding, ding, ding. Oh, my God, not surprised. <laughs> not surprised. Those curvy little Michiganders were their sweetest day. This is why we have sweetest day. <laughs> okay, 8,000, we already know that. Yeah. There are two muscles that surround the anus. Ooh. These muscles are called the internal and internal anal sphincter okay. and the external anal sphincter. Mm. The internal sphincter muscle mm. is said to be involuntary, meaning that we cannot control the muscle. It keeps the canal closed most of the time. The external sphincter is responsible for 15 to 20% of control of stool leakage. Oh, This muscle is voluntary. <laughs> this was sexy, yet, but it got, <laughs> got unsexy. Stool leakage kind of. <laughs> we do have control over this muscle. These muscles work with the, wow, puberectal Puberectalis, puberectalis. Ooh. Ooh, sounds like a dinosaur. Muscle to close the anus to help prevent stool leakage when you cough, sneeze, exercise, <laughs> okay. etc. All right. Wow, so okay. sexual. <laughs> stool leakage. Good job, Michigan. I don't feel like I'm regularly fighting off stool leakage. Well, that's because your sphincter is working. <laughs> okay. Okay. Don't get too cocky over there. I'm not. I'm not. Okay. A 2016 survey of. 1,000-ish, 11 to 16-year-olds in Britain, of the roughly half who had seen pornography, 53% of boys and 39% of girls said it was realistic. And in the recent Indiana University National Survey, only one in six boys and one in four girls believed that women in online porn were not actually experiencing pleasure. As one suburban high school senior boy told me, this was a New York Times article, I've never seen a girl in porn. Was this from Boys in Sex? The, we interviewed her. Peggy Orenstein. No, we did a whole episode with Peggy Orenstein on yeah. a lot of the stuff. It's worth going back and listening to if, if, this, yeah. if this was interesting to you. If we didn't lose yet, um, stool leakage. Yeah. Okay. The boy said, I've never seen a girl in porn who doesn't look like she's having a good time. It's not surprising then that some adolescents use porn as a how-to guide. In a study that Rothman carried out in 2016 of 72 high schoolers ages 16 and 17, teenagers reported that porn was their primary source for information about sex, more than friends, siblings, schools, or parents. Mm -hmm. So 53% of boys and 39% of girls said it was realistic. I saw that stat on two different articles again not to bring it back to my original point but this that's the result of being puritanical the fact that w parents can't talk to their kids teachers can't talk to kids no one can talk to kids about it because it's so shame-ridden and awkward that they're forced to learn it from there 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, but also this is saying more than friend. So I think there is also just something specific about porn that can have an addictive quality and then just reshape all of your ideas of what sex should be. For sure. But the fact that there's never been a class where they go, listen, pornography is out there. It's actors having sex. And quite often the females acting. Also, these are all written and directed by men. Mm -hmm. So this is a male fantasy you're watching. Like, at least if that had been explained before they ever consumed it, they wouldn't maybe say only one in six doesn't think they're having pleasure. Like, they might still watch it. I'm not saying people aren't going to watch porn of course they're gonna but their their understanding of it might be different yeah and, and the only thing we're really nervous about is what how what they're interpreting yes out of this yeah i agree we talked about how some people think watching porn constitutes cheating and was wondering if there are any statistics on how many people actually think that so there was a survey from you porn of the over twenty four thousand women surveyed in a month, thirty two percent of women in relationships agreed that watching any type of porn without their significant other around was cheating. That's about three in ten women. Yeah, I'm not in that group. Yeah. Do you think it's cheating? No. I, I I wish Kristen was watching porn. I think it. Everyone has to come up with their own rules within the relationship. You know, yeah. I'm not saying, but but I personally would not care. No. Right. I mean, look, I'm also I also get that it brings up insecurities, of course. Like if you find out, you know, your partner's watching a bunch of porn to something that you d- don't do or don't look like or don't, you know, it can make you feel inadequate, I think. Of course, and we talked about this exact thing in the episode with Emily, but you're missing the point that you're, you're going to attack pornography as opposed to say i feel less than yeah exactly and so there's no productive end to you think porn's evil and and i don't yeah and also i think it's a convenient thing to hang it on because anyone who thinks their partner is not attracted to other human beings is just very naive anyone yeah. who doesn't understand that everyone has many interests and uh, many sexual fantasies, they're just lying to themselves. Because it's porn, it's like something specific to point out. But if, if porn wasn't in the mix, the thing you're apparently worried about is still happening. There's just no porn. Right. It just feels like a scapegoat. I guess that's the easiest way for me to say it. Yeah. And you're right. Some people have full-on porn addiction as bad as uh, drug addiction. Yeah. I've heard about people... Dude, I saw it, you know, because I lane split on the motorcycle, so I seen people's car all the time. Yeah. I told you this. I saw a fucking guy at the stoplight in the left-hand turn lane watching on his phone porn. Yeah. I'm like, God, this guy can't even drive home without watching Yeah. It. Should I tell everyone my stance on porn? Sure. I'm not crazy interested in it. Of all the things I've been addicted to, I've certainly watched a good deal of porn in my life, but I watch it probably a few times a year. Yeah. And I can't buy into the notion that they're liking it. It has to be a very specific porn for me to enjoy it. Like, it's got to be almost a couple yeah. who I can really believe are into each other and into the thing. Well, because they're not. Yeah, it's a <laughs> painful experience most of the time. But I'm actually, I, I want to see someone uh, in a deep state of pleasure. Right. That's what is appealing to yeah. me. Yeah, it's complicated. I feel lucky. There's just been like a couple Addiction things I've, I've dodged the bullet on. Yeah. Uh, eating, gambling, and this. And shopping. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I, there's always a car in my head that I'm buying and redoing. But I don't do it pathologically. Yeah, you don't. And you don't use shopping as a escape. Correct. Like I do often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy 
happy Valentine's Day. Happy three years. Happy three years. Happy sweetest day in October. Can I tell you something? What? I think that um, we're celebrating three years because we're best friends. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of this, the reason this thing works. And I thank you. I thank you. And we have a connection to our arm cherries. We do. We've met thousands of them at this point. They're all amazing. I don't understand it. (laughs) There has yet to be a jerk. There was a couple people that are too drunk, but like two of... I don't 40, even remember 000. those guys. Remember in the que- there was one we had to change the oh. format of the question. Yeah, you know, that was. But they were having fun. Yeah, they weren't a jerk. <laughs> no. They were a little too. They were a little overserved. <laughs> it's hard to meet that many thousand people, and you like everyone. We're them. really lucky. Yeah. Happy Valentine's. Happy Day. Valentine's Day. Hope you're in line right now at a florist, pulling your hair out <laughs> and terrified you're not going to do a good enough job. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Bye. We are supported by Intuit, the technology platform that builds your financial confidence. There's some things that school doesn't really teach you, like how to handle the financial world. I mean, look, I did 16 years of school and I didn't have a single class on accruing debt or a hole that that puts you Yeah, on. they don't teach you that. No effort made whatsoever. If you want more financial knowledge, now is a great time to learn with Intuit for Education program. It has free, easy-to-use resources like getting a car loan with Credit Karma simulations, understanding taxes with TurboTax lessons, and even learning to run a business with QuickBooks simulations. Check out Intuit's free resources today at intuit.com slash education. Intuit, that's I-N-T-U-I-T dot com slash education.